Welcome to another episode of Systematic Geekology. This is a space where we seek to create and cultivate healthy conversations between those things we geek out on and the philosophical and theological questions that often arise out of our fandoms. Like, what does it mean to be human? What makes a hero? What makes a villain? How do the stories and narratives we geek out on shape how we live in the world? We are your priests to the geeks. We aren't all ordained, but we see ourselves as mediators at the intersection of geek culture and going deeper in our faith. We don't always have to agree, but we do respect each other. And we see everyone as a beloved child of God. Everyone geeks out on something, so come geek out with us and enjoy the show. You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. It's all fun and games until Cedric gets killed by he who shall not be named, right? Hey guys, today we're going to be back with our Harry Potter series. We're going to be doing the fourth story, The Goblet of Fire, aka the best one. I'm Joshua Knoll, one of your co-hosts. Uh, excited to be here. I I, I was going to say love. I very much like Harry Potter. I don't think I'd quite say love, but I am here with at least one person I know loves Harry Potter. Christian Ashley. I'm also here with the one and only Elizabeth Pangling and Clyde, who is finally feeling slightly healthier. If you haven't heard her voice enough recently... Uh, yeah, me either. I'm like, I miss seeing the entertainment of the Clydes. And finally, she's healthy <laughs> enough to record again. We couldn't be more thrilled. So let's start with you. Paying, what have you been geeking out on lately? I decided to rewatch all of Attack on Titans because it's mm, just so much. Choice. It's so nice when you see all the little cues because you know everything that's going to happen. So I just had to rewatch it. And yeah, it's been fantastic. Nice, nice. Um, ever since this morning. Yeah, I recorded an episode of Comic Book Catch-Up this morning and was reminded of Ed Brubaker's existence. So uh, I've already downloaded a few single issues of different like Batmans and stuff. And I'm like, let me see if I like his other stuff that's not the Captain America run, a.k.a. the best, one of the best comic book runs ever. Um, checking out his other stuff. And I'm like, Man, I, yeah, I love, I love Ed Brubaker. And I'm excited to read more stuff from him in the comic book world. Christian, what you been geeking out on lately? Uh, I've been geeking out on the second season of The Eminence in Shadow right now. Uh, big fan of the original season. Or looking forward for more. Love to see my guy Sid just completely screw over people without realizing he's ever done it. It's so much fun. It's a good isekai. One of the few good isekais out there. And with that, let's jump into our main topics today. <laughs> We're going to be discussing... Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Um, yeah, why did I choose this one? This is my favorite. Uh, I don't like the character Harry Potter very much. I, I love the series. I think it's a lot of fun. I love all the side characters. But really, one of the main reasons I love the Harry Potter, I really enjoy the Harry Potter series, is actually because of Voldemort. I what a great villain. He's so cool. He's so nasty looking, evil looking, and he's even got a little bit of class. You know, he lets his enemies take time to bury their dead. Not everybody does that. They, uh, you know, a lot of our real world villains also don't allow that. I, I just, you know, I like Voldemort. Voldemort's classy. He's cool. He's evil. He looks like a, a walking snake and he's got a black robe. Oh, this guy is awesome. And this is the movie where he finally, finally comes back, um, which for me was just annoying because 
I, given my history with the Harry Potter series, I know Christian's already given it. First thing I ever saw with Harry Potter was actually I walked into my room at college. Everybody was having watching it in the room because I wasn't allowed to watch it growing up because this is evil witchcraft. And I went into my room and I uh, saw a little elf thing called Dobby was dying. And man, I busted out laughing. I thought it was the funniest thing I ever saw. I was like, why is everybody upset? This little free, weird little things over here dying. I thought it was so funny. Everybody hated me because, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I just thought it looked funny. <laughs> It was more of a visually and without any context. It looked funny. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's where Kingdom Hearts comes from. Um, but then I uh, had a girlfriend who was really into it at the time, and I went to the theater to watch the very, very last Harry Potter movie, and was like, "Oh, this Voldemort guy is pretty cool." So the whole reason I started the series in the first place is because I liked Voldemort, and I had to get four movies in before I could see him. It was infuriating. That's my that's my history with Harry Potter. Although my family, I will say, my family. My uh, my immediate family always thought it was witchcraft, but my expanded family, like my dad's side of the family, aunts and uncles, everybody, everybody's always been obsessed with it. So it was always relevant in my life. It was just nothing I cared about until I saw how cool the bad guy was. Okay, uh, Christian, you've shared before on the series your history, so I'm going to skip you. Pang, what's your history with uh, Harry Potter? This is the first time we've been on uh, this series reviewing the books here or movies. Yeah, both. I mean, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy the books and I enjoy the movies. I do not rewatch them like once a year like some people do some people rewatch them so often but no i enjoy it i am big fan huge fan mega fan of harry potter world like universal studio i got to go to the yeah. one in yeah, florida so and japan so big fan Ooh. of that yeah real butterbeer phenomenal i love it it's actually so good. It's too sweet don't like it false she's wrong um but also there's a still a better beverage in the Harry Potter world. Uh, if you go to, I forget what it is, but there's a um, basically like a tiny bar in the corner of uh, Diagon Alley. Diagon Alley? Yeah, Diagon Alley. They have, um, there's a bar in the corner and you can get witches brew their own beer. And that's, a, it's a really good, it's a lager, but it's great. Um, yeah. Christian, have you ever been to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in Universal? Yes. I went pre-pandemic. And have not been since, but I really did enjoy uh, being there. It was yeah. a lot of fun. It's a cool experience. We go a couple times a year. Yeah, it's fun. The one um, in Florida is better than Japan. It's like more built out know. and whatnot. Mm -hmm. well, and they're about so to don't have go, they're about to have a third about, part because right now there's mm -hmm. Islands of Adventure and Universal both have a part of it. And when they open up Epic Universe and Universal next year, they're going to have a third part to Harry Potter World, and I don't know what it could be because we already have. Hogwarts and Diagon Alley, and I'm like, what's uh, it's gonna be Azkaban? Bet Azkaban, the person crazy. That would, I that'd bet. be fun. That'd be awesome. You're, you heard it I'm first hoping, here, guys. I'm hoping. <laughs> All right, so establishing our relationship, everything we get that out of the way. Um, Christian, since I skipped you, I'm gonna throw the next question to you. Why is this story important to the overall narrative? What is the significance of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire? This is when we start getting into the lore behind how Voldemort was able to come to power and how able, uh, Voldemort is able to come back to power without the exploration of who the Death Eaters are, uh, which I think we may have heard the term before now, maybe, but we actually get to see them in action after the uh, Quidditch World Cup. Then we get to see uh, Barty Crouch Jr. actually being you know, Mad-Eye Moody working for Voldemort directly, the one person who kept the faith, essentially. And now because of his machinations, Voldemort is able to come back to life by stealing the blood of his enemy, Harry Potter. But Harry is able to escape, also kind of establishing 
how the dead start to kind of work in this world, which will eventually be brought up later with the resurrection stone and stuff like that. So without this being in here, we lose a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of fun. One of the things I think is really fun thematically in these books. So the first one you established witches and wizards. Second one, um, I feel like that's where they I'm trying to remember. There, there's different creatures are established in each one. I'm, I'm trying to remember what's the second one. I know the third one we're establishing werewolves and the um, dog people. What am I thinking of? What's what's the term for this? Serious Black is a blank. Metamorphic. Animagus. Oh, yeah. that. Dude. Yeah. No, yeah. Metamorphic guy is what Tonks is. Yeah. 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 So we're kind of introduced to them. Here, we're introduced to the Death Eaters, really, and, and uh, all the dark things that have kind of been in the background have kind of come to front. I forgot to mention earlier, because I, I know you guys did this before, so I, I want to hear Elizabeth saying through this, too. Um, what do you do first, books or movies? Um, for me... The first one, I read the book, and then I watched the movie, and I was really annoyed because my favorite parts of the book weren't in the movie. And then I was like, you know what would be much better? I'm going to watch the movie first and then read the book. And it turns out I, I did like that more because uh, I'd watched the movie. And I was like, yeah, it was great. And then I read the book. and I was like, yeah, that's even better. And there was no disappointment. There was only happy to happier. And it was fantastic. Good experience. Highly recommend. <laughs> Elizabeth, I did. What's, uh, how'd you do it? I did movies, then books. And so I enjoyed it too, because it almost, it was just like the movie extended. So then you already have the voices in your head. You already have yeah. like the image of the characters in your head. I kind of just made it better in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I would disagree if we were talking Lord of the Rings. I feel like you should, should read them first. I understand why people don't, but Harry Potter, I was like, I just feels like I expanded the thing that I watched. Uh, Christian, do you want to criticize us? I do, but God also told me to love you, so there's that. No, it's a valid way of getting in. Like, there's a reason people make movies. Like, other people prefer that medium to witness things, to view things. And there's nothing wrong inherently other than you're losing a lot by going to the movies, but you don't know that if you're just seeing the movies. Yeah, yeah. Now, for me, this is where things start getting serious. It started to get a little darker in the third movie, but I don't think, like, you know, it was still about harry potter about his family and sometimes you get little hints of this voldemort guy this is the one where it really felt like we're getting serious we're getting down to the real nuts and bolts of the story um is that, is that kind of would you guys feel the same about that or how did y'all feel as far as like how the story took a turn with this movie um elizabeth let's go with you first um i feel this movie i i agree the third one is when it started getting darker and whatnot but this movie kind of establishes Harry's, I guess, relationship with his schoolmates and stuff. Like, it's not all roses and excitement because you can see the jealousy and the side eyes and kind of like the, not the hesitancy, but you know what I mean? Like, they're like the very suspect of Harry. Yeah, yeah. For me, it, it also, it, it, this was kind of the sweet spot, right, where... This was still darker tone than the first few. The first few were so light and fluffy that I almost just don't really like the first couple movies. But this one, I'm like, oh, this is good. Later on, they get so dark that it's like I don't want to rewatch some of them. Like, I don't want to rewatch Deathly Hollows over and over. It tears my heart out. Why would I want to do that? This one is like that sweet spot where it's just dark enough that it's like, uh, OK, I don't feel like it's all light and fluffy and it's too sweet like uh, Pink thinks Butterbeer is. But it's also not so dark that I'm like, oh, I feel bad afterwards, you know? Um, Christian, what about you? What do you think about the turn this movie took? You think it was a little more serious or just in line with the third one? Or how do you feel? 
other than the pun, I do think the third one is really where things go more serious in the sense of the loss, the start of the loss of innocence. But this one right here, you have a good argument for it, too, in that, hey, you know, sometimes you could he's not really a bumbling fool, but you could portray Voldemort as one because all his plans fail and he's not really a presence outside of like being he's not a physical presence in three, but he's a motivating factor for what will happen in this book for Wormtail to come to him. And lead about to his resurrection was means, oh, no, this guy we thought, well, we'll just foil every plan he comes once a year. It's OK. Oh, now he can actually do things himself. That changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that does bring up to something I wanted to I wanted to get at, too. This was, you know, these days, these days, I feel like an old man, you know, um, especially when you look at Disney. This is a this is where you can really tell if you follow Disney animation. Maybe it's just because I watched too many Disney movies. It used to be. Well, you'd wait, you'd hear of the bad guy, right? You don't see, you know, you don't see a lot of your classic Disney movies. You don't see the villain until near the end, you know, Maleficent, different things. Like you don't get to see the bad guy. You get told about them, you get whatever. And then when they appear, it's got some weight to it. Cause you're like, you've been anticipating this great evil showing up and then now it's here. What are you going to do? This, I feel like this series does a really good job because you keep hearing he who shall not be named. They really build up the anticipation. And finally, in this movie, we finally see Voldemort in all his glory. Um, sorry, I really love Voldemort. Um, let's go, Christian. What do you, um, what do you think? Did, did they successfully, when he came back, did he have what it took? Was the anticipation worth it? Or was it just kind of like, oh, okay, I guess he's here now. No, they nailed it. Uh, Rowling nailed it when he appeared for the first time in the flesh. Like you have the beginning prologue where like he's there, but obviously we don't see him because he's kind of in that pseudo state of life and death that he has been ever since like the beginnings of we see him in the first book in that way. But now he's got a body. Now he can physically fight Harry. He doesn't have to send minions after him. Like they have a one-on-one -on -one duel that the only reason Harry is able to get out of it is because it's something neither one of them could have planned for. And that's the only reason Harry lives. Otherwise, he'd have been dead right then and there. And no one would have been any the wiser. And his plan would have gone off flawlessly because he has a mole within Hogwarts. Dumbledore doesn't know who it is. And he has suspicions, maybe, but he doesn't know for sure. Harry would, would show up on the other side of the Triwizard uh, Tournament dead. And no one would know why. He would have won to that extent of no one being prepared for him. But because Harry comes back, we're mm, able to have yeah. that hope. We're able to go, okay, there's a huge threat out there, but there's a chance we can fight it. Yeah. Just, uh, and, and I think when we're talking about the movie, you know, I, I love the book. The book's definitely my favorite. When we're talking about the movie, that scene where, sorry, Harry Potter, I was going to say Daniel, when Harry Potter came back and he has Cedric there and the way he's just like bawling and he's tore up and no one knows what's going on. So they're all cheering. And then you really see the weight when everybody realizes what he's going through, what's happening on the stage right there, man, it, I think it was portrayed in the movie. It was portrayed with so much weight. Um, I think the book probably did a better job specifically of Voldemort coming back. I feel like Voldemort felt scarier in the book. Like I was like, oh, yeah, this guy's here now. Um, Elizabeth, what do you think? Was the anticipation, was the buildup worth the the reveal? Was Voldemort as scary as he was made out to be? I'm trying to think because I remember being fairly young when this movie came out and I was afraid of Voldemort. So I'm going to say yes for my childhood fears. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's like that recurring nightmare I had about uh, Donkey Kong because I played Donkey Kong 64 until midnight every day. 
I dare you to tell me South Rogan isn't terrifying. Um, <laughs> sorry, oh, I can't help myself. All right, so with that, let's let's jump into our ratings. Zero to ten. Where are we rating Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire? Christian, you you can start us off this time. Um, I flip flop between which is my favorite in the series because it's either this or Order of the Phoenix. I think right now I'm leaning more towards Order of the Phoenix, so I'm going to give this like a nine five. Christian will love to know that I dislike Order of the Phoenix so much that I skip it if I watch the whole series. I just think it's so. This is boring. not the only recording we've done today, audience, <laughs> and I have been disappointed so many times today. <laughs> to be fair, one of them was literally about. Uh, the doctrine of how many parts make up human. Nobody really knows that. That's fine. We can disagree about that. Yeah. Uh, disagreeing about that, order of phoenix is different. <laughs> yeah, I, this is this is fighting words. <laughs> yeah, it's just so funny. Um, Pang, uh, what what did you wait? What number did you give it, Christian? I missed nine five nine five. Uh, Elizabeth, where are you where are you going with this one? I'm gonna go maybe eight because I enjoy that Hermione just showed up and showed out at the ball. That's like my favorite scene actually in the whole movie. Like Hermione just happening. she she did that entrance and then like she she got the she got the guy everyone wanted, not because she was <laughs> thirsty, but because you know he noticed her. Yeah, I like and you know, that's when Ron starts getting jealous. So yeah. 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 Man. Growing up watching these films, I had the hugest crush on her. Yeah, I get that. Um yeah, Beauty and the Beast came out, and I had a huge crush on her. But anyway, that's a diff- different story. The uh, This is so difficult. If I'm just thinking, if I'm rating it only against other Harry Potter movies, that's a 10. It's my favorite Harry Potter movie. If I'm rating it against movies in general or, like, just magic movies and stuff, I'd, I'd probably go with a 7. Mind yeah, you, I'd give I, the overall series just a 5 because I'm like, it's pretty I, I rated enjoyment factor, too. Like, I enjoy it, but I'm, I'm yeah. not... I can't, it's not like a Miyazaki movie for me where I can just watch it again and again and again. Yeah. Like if I sat there and watched every extended edition of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings 10 times in a row and you said you could watch one of those one more time or you could watch a Harry Potter movie, I'm still watching the Lord of the Rings movie again. You know, (laughs) but it is still a really good movie. I, I liked it a lot. It's definitely my favorite Harry Potter movie. I like that it has the games, it has fun, it has excitement, it has puzzles, and then you have the darkness at the end, and you have this twist, and it's like, boom, Voldemort, the scary bad guy. I'm like, oh, man, it has all the right things. It is awesome. But at the end of the day, um, J.K. Rowling just ain't no Tolkien, you know? Like, it's not on them. <laughs> it just is what it is. Um, also, I think I just like the world better, because, you know, I like giant battles more than some people are attacking a school and some school kids. Yeah. <laughs> Give me hordes of goblins instead. That sounds more fun. Also, why I loved Hogwarts Legacy. That was great. Um, okay. Great game. So let's, uh, before we get anything deeper, do you guys have like a favorite scene? Yeah, let's do this. Favorite scene, favorite character of the movie, um, and favorite action. Yeah. Or action scene. Joke. I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say. I was going to say favorite spell, but I feel like that's not quite fair because they use the same spells over and over. Um, okay, I have to do my second one since I already did my favorite scene. Okay, it's whenever they come in, like the the guy, like the other schools, and the the they go ha, you know what I mean? They like enchant everyone, and then the <laughs> the other school comes in and they, they do the like the almost like a doom doom yeah. doom. Like that was impressive. Yeah, I think um, the Weasley twins are probably my favorite characters in this one. Um, I just really like how everybody's being mean to Harry doing all this other stuff. And they're like, you know what? Hijinks. That's the answer here. 
<laughs> love them. They're great. Um, favorite They're the best scene, bros in the series. Favorite scene. Gotta be Voldemort showing up. I love him. Like just the presence. It's like, oh man. Yeah. Whether it's the book or the movie, just his presence is just so cool. Um, and then if I'm going to go favorite action, yeah, I'm still going to be in that Voldemort scene. I love when the two wands, like the magic is colliding. You have the red and the green, and then you have these ghosts, you know, Harry's parents, whatever, showing up and kind of having that. And of course, you know, because I think of the movie, I feel like I keep talking about the movie, but that scene is still pretty cool in the book. It just visually looked really cool in the movie where you have the, the magic blaring out and then you have the ghosts showing up in this little graveyard and it's yeah it was cool i like that a lot all right um elizabeth you didn't tell us what's your favorite action interpret action, it however you um, want i would say it's more of a question around this action of like why didn't it happen out of all the magic why could we not make ron's robes better like why did they do that to ron with his hand-me-down robes entertainment like, <laughs> because they're poor <laughs> yes, I understand. He got the robes secondhand. That's all they could afford. But out of all the magic spells that everyone knows, you couldn't tell me you couldn't enchant the robes or transform them or do something. I just love Poor how much Ron. of your focus is on this dance that I literally. I, I really did happens. enjoy the dance. Like I completely I, I, forget that it exists. Hey, it's a good thing. <laughs> it's, it's so good. It is. It's, so it's just my mind's like, oh yeah, there was some dancing or romance. I don't know. Skip. Yeah, I, I was. I was very mad at Ron and Harry. I'm like, can you guys just enjoy <laughs> the dance? Like, and then so like funny. they they realize boys be stupid. What's funny is that was like one of the most relatable parts too, because I'm like that would definitely be me if I were at a dance, which I just wouldn't be at a dance. If but if I was, that one, would be yeah. me. Yeah, like I would, I'd have to be forced to be there. But if I was, that would that's probably what I'd be like. I'd be like, ah, oh. and then I'd realize, man, I ruined my chances here. Dang. You should have just asked the person you guys wanted to go with, and now the your people. Well, are I didn't want to go, so I was one. forced to be there. Mm. Hello, friends. If you enjoy systematic ecology, a great way to support us and to keep us moving forward into the future is to be a patron on our Patreon network. If you're a Patreon, then you get live access to our YouTube exclusives like comic book ketchup and manga mustard, drinks with Tejas, and also uh, some extra content there with our companion series to go along with our annual theme. If you're a patron, you get exclusive merch like t-shirts and handbags and mugs. There's also a bonus extra question that has extra content. In each episode, we go deeper into our faith and the questions that we're wrestling with, but we also do this extra question uh, to jump in and to share about, and, and uh, patrons get to hear how we answer that question. There's discounts on our store. You get access to any future online D&D campaigns. You can easily access all of our Patreon content through our Spotify page, where it says exclusive content for subscribers. That could be you folks. And all that being said, you get the satisfaction that you help us uh, keep the lights on and keep us moving forward with our software, our marketing, our equipment, staying current in the podcast game. Uh, we love Systematic Ecology. We hope you do too. Support us moving forward. Thank you for all that you are. We know there's a lot of great choices and content out there and you choose to listen to Systematic Ecology. Thanks, folks. We love you. Peace. Christian, what, uh, favorite character of um, this film, favorite scene, favorite action. Wait, did Elizabeth, did you do favorite character? 
if we're talking about the movie, right? Yeah, or the book, either one. Uh, in well, this because story. It's, it's different in the book, but I'm going to say Neville, because in the movie, he really helped Harry out with that gillyweed. But what about the book? The book. I did both. Well, nah, nah, that was Dobby who got the gillyweed in the book. Oh, oh no, he was supposed to do it in the book. Yeah, but he but didn't. But then Dobby did it instead mm-hmm. because Neville didn't so read it. That's right. You're is right. Dobby your favorite character in the book and then Neville's your favorite in the movie? No, you know what? Unpopular opinion. I kind of don't like Dobby at all. Me neither. I still think it's funny when he dies. All right, Christian. <laughs> um, Character, I mean, it's going to continue until they do something differently. It's my boys, Fred and George. Yes. And what do they do when they're told your age limit is 17? They're 16. Well, we're going to you know, do something funky to make ourselves actually appear 17. <laughs> Dumbledore, he's not going to stop us. Go over the oh, line, man, put them in. They're funny. all smug and happy. Blows up in their faces. <laughs> they look fantastic. like old men and they start fighting each other. And both, uh, uh, I think that's both book and movie. And I love them, those little scallywags. And of course, they're still number one supporters of Harry, even when Ron's acting like a little prat at this point in time. Like <laughs> they've got his back. They even have Ron's back too. It's like they don't pick sides over this. They're like they say, "Hey, we love you both." Uh, just all the shenanigans they get up to, and like we start kind of getting the the hints of the Weasley wheezing wheezes or whatever it is for their joke yeah. shops. Oh yeah, that will be more prominent in five and six. Uh, I love it so much. They're my guys now. Scene um, maybe a bit of a curveball, but my one of my favorite scenes in this movie is Mad Eye Moody's first day of class. Slash being Marty Crouch Jr.'s first day of cla- uh, class. And that's why I appreciate as much as I do when he does the unforgivable curses in front of everyone. And, yeah. to, uh, you know, and it's that dual role like he is playing a character who would be acting this way. So he knows him that well. But that's also that horrific stance behind it of like, this is someone actively working for Voldemort, getting joy out of causing pain and taking over the mind of this creature and killing a creature in front of all these students. It's so spectacularly well done. I mean, in the first, if you're just watching it, like, okay, that's just Mad-Eye Moody being Mad-Eye Moody. But when you actually read the whole book in context, you go, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, there was a sadistic glee happening here. Um, Then action, I would have to go the first bit of the Triwizard uh, Cup tournament with Harry facing off. It's not as dramatic in the book as it is in the film because they make things more cinematic. But him, like, (laughs) escaping the dragon on the fireball, echoing the egg to him. Excellent. Love that part. Oh, yeah. Ooh, don't forget really when Hagrid scene. put his head while dancing with the headmistress of the other that school. Sweet. That as was sweet. As much as I sweet. try to not remember the dance, but, you know. That was, um, yeah, that was, yeah, that was is sweet. a very sweet moment. It was very sweet. I um also just have to mention uh, Barty Kraut Jr.'s, you know, David Tennant. It's David Tennant. That is also part of why I love this. Like, if I'm going to watch one, I'm going to watch the one that has David Tennant in it. Like, why would I watch another one? David Tennant because in this of the one. doctor. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I love David Tennant so much. Also, I hear rumor that the reason he did this film was because he wanted to get the popularity so that he could become the doctor. Um, if that's true, I'm so glad this film happened. Well played, sir. Well played. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So that being said, let's get into some of the, some of the deeper thought stuff here. Um, one thing that I find interesting that kind of runs through a lot of Harry Potter, but specifically in this movie is there's kind of an idea of fate, but you can see the strings that cause fate to happen. You know, like it was like fated for Voldemort to return, but you can see exactly how he made his own return happen or Harry Potter being the chosen one, but uh, he was the chosen one 
because his parents did what they did. And that's also why they show up in this fight with Voldemort. So it's kind of like fate, but also not because everything was put into place by other people. I wonder how you guys take on what your take on this is. Um, is our ideas of fate or sovereignty? Are we able to see the strings? Is it really just a, you know, string of choices that other people made that led to an inevitable moment? Or is fate something that can exist without any human act? Christian? But it all depends on how you look at fate. As for someone like me, I see fate as something that God has predetermined based on him accounting for what the free will actions of people. And there are other people who say the exact opposite. And like God just has a plan. It's going to happen. Doesn't matter what I do or say. Uh, I take the opposite effect to that because I do think we're imbued with free will, but I also think God is sovereign. So I have the heck the metaphysics of that work. It does in my view. But when it comes to this book, it's, well, it was kind of a powder keg of it. It's going to happen. Eventually someone was going to end up finding Voldemort. Yeah. Whether it was Wormtail, whether Barty Crash Jr. somehow escaped his dad's house and went to Albania and found him there. It was going to happen. It was just a, a question of when. Yeah. And this is just how it happened to be. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Elizabeth, uh, same question. How would you answer this as far as like fate? Is it real? Is it just a chance of what everybody else's decision was? Is it something that God does that's ex outside of us completely or what's what's happening? Um. It's hard to say, like, God determines your fate because, as Christian mentioned, we have free will. And so if I see a log and I'm going to keep on walking straight and then I trip, I'm not going to be like, it was my fate to trip when I could have dang well lifted my leg a little bit higher and walked over that log. You know what I mean? I feel like that's what we do with fate. Like, even the day one of my students like, Chef, pray for our friend. She's about to get in trouble. I was like, your friend played a stupid game and she's getting a stupid prize. Yeah. That's not fate. <laughs> it's stupidity. Yeah. Um. So it's just like one of those things. It's just it's it's a gray area, I think, because I believe all things work together for our good because we have a sovereign God. But also, I believe in my free will and God is above my stupidity when I make yeah. bad choices because he already knew it was going to happen. Yeah, I um, I do disagree with part of that, but That's I fine. agree with most of it. Yeah. I uh, actually, I did an episode recently on Whole Trick Podcast with Thomas Ord, and we were talking about omniscience and God knowing everything. Um, and I think, you know, I, I believe God knows everything that is knowable, but since the future doesn't exist, it doesn't make sense for God to know the future for me because he's outside of time. Yeah. Time, that time, he doesn't time doesn't believe. exist. So yeah. how could he be? Also, if he does he's exist, he has to have him. a temporal part. Yeah. Um, also, that's nowhere in the Bible that mentions God being outside of time. That's just something someone made up one day. But anyway, that's besides the point. Um, yeah, everybody does have different. Uh, there's there's a few different theories of how God's relation to time is. I, I think one person, there's one theory that God is outside of time. One theory, God has his own separate timeline. Um, there's other kind of stuff. Since I don't just, I just don't think time exists. So it just doesn't really phase me. Um, but that being said, there is this idea of sovereignty and stuff. And if you're going to believe God, in my mind, if you're going to believe God knows the future and is all powerful, then of course you believe in fate because God is either letting whatever happened happen but or putting everything in motion because he did create everything for it to happen the way that it did. In which case, yeah, that's fate. Like if he's all powerful, created everything and knew the outcome, uh, he created the outcome. That's just how that would work. In my mind, that's just the only thing that makes sense. Um, if the future doesn't exist, then you get into a few different things here of, yeah, God is sovereign. God is all powerful, but also uh, that's where you see a lot of your prophecies of 
if you do evil, here's the option. If you don't do evil, here's what will happen. And a lot of our prophecies kind of incorporate our free will, where God is acknowledging we have the choice to either do evil and then suffer the consequence or do good and suffer the consequence. So, yeah, I think I definitely agree with you on the, yeah, we have free will. And uh, if you tripped over a log, you could have very well just lifted your leg over the log, right? And I think practically at the end of the day, that's the part that matters is that we acknowledge that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think to me, the reason I think this is important is largely going to be because um, I'm trying to think of how to word this. When we go to the Goblet of Fire, you see everybody kind of lets Harry Potter play this game that he wasn't supposed to be in because, oh, obviously magic exists and it must be fate that he was allowed to be in the game. So we're going to let him play these games that were very clearly too dangerous for the age he was and all this stuff. And it was an elaborate trap. And I think if anyone would have just taken the time instead of assuming it was fate or magic and said, wait a minute, this shouldn't have worked. Let's look into why it didn't work. I think a lot of this could have been avoided. And I think the same thing happens in our Christian circles. Um, you know, I respect and I love the people who disagree with me, who think that God's sovereign and everything that happens was part of God's will. And he just willed you to sin and trip over the log and everything else. I respect that belief because I understand there's complications when you're getting into all powerful, all knowing beings, right? It's not something our human brains can comprehend. I don't think. Um, so I respect that point of view, but I have a strong problem with it because I think a lot of times if you're just going to assume everything's something that God willed and you don't look into it, then it's very easy for the enemy to trick you and let you put your name in a game you shouldn't have been in in the first place. Uh, what was it? Stupid games, stupid prizes? Yeah, well, I mean, look into stuff. Don't just assume, oh, it must be God's will. What if you looked into and see why things are happening the way they are? And I think sometimes that's how we avoid traps from the enemy. And man, I'm sounding really spiritual right now, but that's uh, sometimes you got to be. Oh, that's why we're commanded to test the spirits whenever, yeah. you know, uh, something could, should come our way. We're not told, hey, blindly believe every voice you hear in your head or every directive that you feel in your heart. That's it goes. Uh, that's antithetical to what God has us to, intended in mind. We have to make sure that if we're hearing something outside of ourselves, that it is true. And we have to make sure, oh, does this correspond with Scripture? Does this correspond with what God has done before? Uh, what is being asked of me right now? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I am. Um... I'm going to double double on that because something you mentioned of like hearing whatever you hear, whatever you're feeling in your heart kind of stuff. Um, I grew up Pentecostal and I love a lot of the Pentecostal stuff. I think it stresses a lot of the spiritual aspect that sometimes gets left out of other churches. And I think it's very important. But when you grow up in it, sometimes you stress it to the point that you forget other things. And at one point in my life, I was the kind of person who was like, oh, no, God's telling me to date this person. God's telling me to do this because I just kind of over spiritualized everything and made everything as, oh, that must be God. And I think I was too quick to use the God said line, you know, because then who's going to argue with you? God told me to date this girl. Who are you to tell me not to date? You know what I mean? Um, and, and I think that's yeah. where I got myself in trouble because I wasn't discerning between God's spirit and my spirit. And um, as the Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all else. So <laughs> I think it's important to take moments like David and say, hey, God, observe my heart. Tell me what's wrong with me. Observe this game. Something's wrong. Some kid shouldn't be playing <laughs> You know, like sometimes I do. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's all about um, observing yourself, asking God's spirit to kind of observe you to figure out what's wrong, what shouldn't be there, what should be there and to follow God's spirit and not your own. One, one thing that you, that another thing that a Christian brought up actually was how Voldemort had a very loyal following. No matter what, someone was going to be bringing Voldemort back. His plan was in motion. There was enough people who were loyal to him that it was going to happen. And I think you also do see this in real life where some really evil characters 
in our world have some pretty strong followings. How, how does this happen? How do beings as evil as Voldemort actually get this kind of loyalty out of people? Because like, clearly Voldemort really is out for himself. He doesn't care about the other people. So I'm like, how how did he get this kind of following? Elizabeth, you get you get like minded people to go for a cause. So he got the people who wanted to who thought they were superior with their pure bloods and you made a common enemy. And whenever someone has a common enemy, they have something to rally against together. And hatred bonds people in a in a crazy way. So you you think they kind of overlooked the fact that he was just all about himself because they also hated the things that he hated? Um, well, I mean, they were blind to it. Really. They were blind. They they had an objective in mind, and Voldemort was able to get their objective done. And as he got more powerful, then they began fearing them. I mean, that's like a good yeah. bait and switch. You act like you're your someone's friend, or even like if you are trying to gain someone's trust, and then you can go psycho, but you already got them. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Christian, anything uh, you want to add or join in that? Because like, I hear what she's saying, and I feel like I see that in, in our world, right, where we see these people who ordinarily people I, I love and care support people that I'm like, there's no way you'd support that person. But it just so happens they have the same hatred or they have the same thing that they're against. And it's like that aligns you more than the things you're for. Well, there's multiple factors in play. That, of course, being one of them is that you can get behind an idea of hating the specific people. And then, therefore, if you already share this idea, or if you're close to sharing it, well, of course, you're going to join with like-minded people because they agree with you. Or you go after the idea of, okay, what is going to unite me against this? Well, if you already have a culture based around an idea of we are superior because we can do what these muggles cannot, even if you yourself are not a, a, a wizard supremacist, it is easy for someone to fall into that trap. Well, I'm better because I can do this. Well, someone else is saying that, well, I should be even better than them. I should lord over them. Well, that makes a lot of sense because they're weaker than me. It is, it is proper for the, the righteous and the, the toughest to be in charge and lead the people who don't understand. And you know, also there's socioeconomic levels at here. Uh, people who are disenfranchised to begin with need to be in a group that humans are social creatures as much as I try to deny that every day of my life. <laughs> it is something I am yeah, wired same. to head towards. Yeah, we need to be in community, but sometimes when we don't fit in with everyone else, we pick the wrong one because, hey, they, they think I'm okay. They like hanging out with me mm. or I get enough joy being around these people or happiness, I should say, around these people that it becomes a drug, that it becomes euphoric. And I forget about all the terrible things they're saying because, well, they like me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that's a big part of it. And I'm still stuck with, with Elizabeth thing. Like, I, I do think there's a part of this like shared hatred that people cling to. And it's, it, sorry, it, it really irritates me to see this. And, and I'm going to not be specific, but I do see our, the church doing a lot of this. So yeah, I say the church, but you know, certain churches doing this, not the capital C church necessarily, but where you'll see there a lot quicker to align themselves with people who also are against things that they're against even if it's good things to be against you know the enemy to of my enemy is my friend yeah yeah we're a lot quicker to buy into that mindset of you know if you're against this happening i'm against this happening you're against this political party so am i we're a lot quicker to align with that and it's a lot harder to get churches to want to align with people who maybe have a shared goal but different beliefs you know it would be easy to find the church lining itself up with, you know, this is funny, even Protestants and Catholics, they're both against abortion and you'll see them team up all the time for that. 
but you ask the church to line up with an atheist group in town that's helping feed the hungry, absolutely no chance. Not going to happen. And it's kind of like, wait a minute. Are we prioritizing the wrong wrong things? Maybe, uh, yeah, let's still be against the things we're against. But are we also prioritizing the things that we're supposed to be for? Loving our neighbor, helping those in our communities? Or are we only prioritizing those things we're against? Um, And I think some churches do a really good job. I think, uh, actually, if I remember correctly... Uh, Elizabeth's church did a really good job of that when we were in Charleston. It's actually a lot of churches in Charleston. I thought did a really good job with not just being against things, but partnering with people and doing good things in the community. But I, I definitely think we see other churches that are kind of focusing on this negative aspect. Um, Christian, what have you seen? What are your insights? Um, et cetera. As someone in seminary, I feel like you're, you're primed to what's going on in the church culture right now. <laughs> Part of it is that fear is like, if we join with them and they believe this, are we by joining up with them, then giving a tacit approval, say, oh, everything they're doing is fine, is the is the fear versus, hey, this group is doing a good thing. Yeah, they're going to be saying some things we really don't agree with. Can we in good conscience join with them, get stuff done together? Well, you you both have opposing viewpoints. If we're trying to do this to not only feed the homeless, to get them somewhere they can find a place to live, they can get away from the streets, get away from their addictions as best as possible. But as soon as we introduce Jesus in a solution, this atheist group, this agnostic group, whatever, comes in and says, you can't do that. Well, of course, there's going to be friction. Well, how do we still join with that group to solve a common problem? And it's no, there's no easy answer. It's, it's easy to say, hey, we should both be doing it. And of course, we should be both trying to solve this problem. But how do we do it where my beliefs don't come in the way of what is trying to be done here and not in the sense of, well, I'm just superior to you because I believe in Jesus Christ. No, like, hey, like you obviously don't think God exists. Let's get this done together. But as soon as I introduce him in there, you have a problem. Or as soon as I don't say something, someone else in my church is going to have a problem. Yeah. How does I handle that? I have no clue. Uh, I would like to say I would have a lot of rational people around me who would say, hey, <laughs> I know they believe yeah. some kooky things. But we're doing a greater good by aligning to get this stuff done. Yeah. But people are people. No, I, I agree with all that. Um, also, I wonder if we'll all agree on this. Uh, regardless of if we're teaming up with someone because they just are against the things we're against, or if we're teaming up with people because they're for the things we're for, I think it's important that we don't get so lost in the cause that we forget about the person. Time and time again in the Bible, we see these leaders of Israel who are really helping the nation and doing a lot of good, but we're evil leaders and the nation got punished for it because God does care about character regardless of outcome. I think that's actually an important thing that we take away from this Harry Potter movie where you don't just blindly follow Voldemort because he happens to think the same way as you, but instead you're looking and observing what is the character of our leader? Is that really someone we want to be behind? Um, Because yeah, this other stuff is important. I think it is important to be against what you're against, to be for what you're for, but also, what is the character of your leaders? And are you actually valuing that? I think that's something we need to keep in mind as well. Elizabeth, any any final comments? Um, no, I, I agree. It's so hard, especially whenever you do follow someone, you put them on a pedestal and you it's I mean, this is why you get false prophets. You just follow them blindly and you it, it's almost like a thing of pride, because if you choose to follow someone so devotedly and then you don't want to admit you're wrong. So you're going to just sell out to them. You have to be really careful. Like if this Jesus thing doesn't work out, I'm like out of luck or something. I don't know. <laughs> like I, I, I've thought yeah. that because I've yeah. devoted my whole life. Like, yeah, no, I get that. I, um, yeah. And, and it's one thing, like 
yeah, Voldemort, I think they respected him for his power and he lorded fear over them. But also the same thing can happen where you're blindly loyal to someone because they really showed a lot of love to you and your family. And then you didn't notice other things about them. I think that blind loyalty is definitely just a big problem, no matter what the reasons behind it is. Christian, final comments. Well, that's just something we need to be careful about ourselves. No one here is perfect in regards to every decision we've ever made when it came to, oh, I'm not making this because these people have been nice to me. I'm not doing making this decision or joining this group of people because I feel included. Mm-hmm. That's an easy way to fall into the wrong trap. That's why uh, something like the Flat Earth Society has grown as big as it is. They've uh, Some people who are disenfranchised grow into yeah. this group. They feel, oh, I know more knowledge than you. Or you yeah. know, the same thing with a hollow earth theory or a hollow moon or whatever the heck you want to say. There's even a hollow sun out there. It gets wild and wacky. Wow. But it's that. Uh, and the same thing, too, with uh, stuff like neo-Nazi groups or uh, neoliberal groups that not all neoliberal groups, but in the same sense of, yeah. hey, I want to be part of this group. Maybe I don't even believe what they're saying, but I do believe that everyone there wants to include me. Mm. And it doesn't matter what yeah. I hear from everyone else. Say, hey, you're in a cult. Or, hey, you believe this false science. It has nothing to do and based on any truth in the world. It has nothing to do with God or, or Jesus or what have you. But because they feel included, they will deny everything else because it makes them feel good. And that's something we need to be aware of in our own minds because I can get like that. I'm, I've never joined yeah. a neo-Nazi group or a flat earth society or anything <laughs> like that. But I have been with like-minded people who I didn't yeah. always agree with everything they were saying because I felt like I was part of a group. And that's yeah. not safe. That's not smart. Yeah. And what we're not saying is be part of the church community and no other communities, because that's a cult. That's what that would be. <laughs> what we are saying, though, is just going to be careful that who you're following, who you're aligning with. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's important. You know, I love Kingdom Hearts. I'll join other Facebook groups of Kingdom Hearts and have a good time over there. But the moment it takes a turn for we're hating people who don't like Kingdom Hearts and oh, this person down on Disney, we're all going to dog on him. Like, no, man, that's not a community I want to be a part of. Um, just kind of being open, willing to look inside of what you're doing and evaluating why you're part of what you're a part of. Is it just to get along? Is it just because they're against what you're against or, you know, does it actually align with your values and, um, God, you know, what's the, what's the Bible verse of, uh, my people know my voice, you know, and they follow my, the shepherd, the sheep follow the shepherd cause they know his voice, know God's voice, read your Bibles, be a part of whatever group, but then know God's voice. If he's telling you to get out of that. Is that a like sound advice? Is that a good thing to transition to our wrap up with? You think? Watch uh, for me. Elizabeth gave me permission. So that means here we go <laughs> on to our wrap up, <laughs> guys. Uh, if you want to hear more, subscribe on Captivate Patreon or Apple Podcasts. We're going to do a final question. We're going to be asking which of the Tri Wizard Tournament games that we would feel most confident in. So that's going to be a fun conversation. Hang in there for that. Uh, but first, let's go ahead and give our recommendations. Um, Elizabeth, do you have any recommendations for our listeners? Honestly, listeners, I recommend you guys get some sleep, drink lots of water, take care of your mental health, and just, you know, happy holidays, honestly. That's my recommendation to me and to you. Thanks, Mom. Oh, man. Um, Amen. My recommendation, uh, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to sound like a broken record. I just keep recommending stuff by G. Willow Wilson. Um, the Hunger in the Dusk, fantastic stuff. Uh, pick up those comics. They're great, challenging what we think of as a race in the fantasy world and gender and all that kind of stuff. And uh, what is evil? It's fun. It's a fun fantasy goblin kind of world. Good times. They made into a movie. I'd like it more than Harry Potter. Uh, Christian, what's going on with you? 
I've probably recommended it before, but I'll do it again. If you want a different take on how magic can be done in a world and uh, see all the applications thereof, go check out the Dresden Files. It's one of the greatest series of all time. It's not finished. There's still like 10 or so books that need to be done, if I remember correctly, but it's well worth the wait. Butcher does amazing work there. If you want to meet the greatest character of one of his lore, Michael Carpenter, then you got to go check out the Dresden Files. <laughs> all right. Well, with that, guys, um, we do ask if you can and are willing to rate and review our show on Podchaser, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Um, and, you know, this is part of a series, so make sure you go down below in the show notes and have listened to all of our Harry Potter story reviews. You know, we've done one through four now at the end of this and five through seven are coming up next. So hang in there, be ready for that. And of course, remember, we're all a chosen people, a geekdom of priests. Do you love systematic ecology as much as I do? Of course you do. So why don't you hop on over to the systematic ecology shop and get yourself some merch. We have clothing like hats, extra soft t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies. We even have glassware and mugs. One of my favorite coffee mugs that I use every morning is a coffee mug that has on it, share the faith, share the geek. Yeah, I, geek my, I get my geek on first thing every morning thinking of systematic ecology. And I know you need to hop over there and uh, get you some merch, represent us out in the wild, out in the public, and let people know that you too like to share the faith and share the geek. Hello, friends. If you like systematic ecology, then there's a host of other podcasts in our network that we think you will like just as much. And so we're part of the Anazal ministry podcast network and we hope that you can hop over and subscribe uh with all the podcasts that are on our network like for instance the homily which is hey pastor will rose's sermon here in chapel hill north carolina at holy trinity lutheran church you have another podcast called the whole church podcast the og the originals the beginner of it all yes joshua noel and tj working for unity among the church and having great conversations with the wide spectrum of those who are involved in christian ministry and the church you have my seminary life uh, by brandon knight who's discussing what he's learning in seminary what's he is learning his theological studies and, and bringing to the surface uh, those big things that we're wrestling with and thinking through theologically in the church and beyond. There's the Let Nothing Move You podcast from Christian Ashley, who is walking through the Bible in a very Bible study type fashion and walking through the biblical narrative. You have Dummy for Theology. I don't think Joshua is a dummy, but hey, he's going to lift up theological themes that he's thinking about and wrestling with. And maybe there's not a lot of um, answers, but there's definitely a lot of great questions out there that he's lifting up with some great theologians across the whole spectrum of Christianity. And then there's the Bible After Hours. Man, if you like to get risky, if you like to get controversial, there's this foul-mouthed preacher who goes from goes through the Bible from a more progressive point of view, challenging the status quo of the modern church. Yeah, yeah, you don't want any kids around 
with, with that podcast. And then you have the Clydes, uh, one of my favorite couples uh, that I like to listen to. One of the hosts here on Systematic Ecology, Taylor and Elizabeth Clyde, go through weekly discussions and kind of a devotional, conversational method of, of what's going on in their lives, uh, where they see God moving in their lives, and what God is up to in the world. So those are the podcasts a part of the AMP Network. Subscribe, follow, we hope you can be a part of all that great network with the wonderful podcasts at AMP.